0: Everybody turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Actually, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 2, and we'll read this together. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So notice here that God has... He has chosen 70, and he has commissioned them to go into a city that he's about to come into. So the purpose of their journey is to prepare the way for the Lord of the harvest to come and reap a harvest. There is a preparation time. And so he's sending these 70 workers in to cities, into homes, to prepare the way for Jesus to come. When we think of the life of the church, one of the things we need to consider is, how is the church most effectively preparing the way for the Lord of the harvest to come reap? And what will the Lord of the harvest reap in the end? Those are some questions I had. Verse 2, then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the fact that the problem is not with the harvest. The problem is that the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to draw uh, special attention and make particular note of the fact that his number one uh, remedy for increasing laborers, Jesus' uh, number one remedy for increasing laborers was to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Well, I want to, this morning, I want to try to broach the subject of um, what it is specifically that God's looking for. You know, we have in the church um, built ministries where we have become so seeker sensitive that we are no longer spirit sensitive. Where everything that we do, and, and let me hear, hear my heart this morning. I'm, I, I believe that converts matter. I believe that people who are far from God and lost and didn't know Him, they, they matter. And Jesus is desperately concerned about the lost. But He is not merely concerned about the lost being found. He is, he is also and mainly concerned about, about those that are found becoming sons. He is interested in us walking in his sonship. That uh, when Jesus came and he walked on earth, when people saw him, they said, what manner of man is this that we're beholding? I'm afraid today that oftentimes when people behold people, others in the church, or when they behold the church, or when lost people behold the church, I often ask myself the question, are they... um, Do we hear the phrase uttered from their lips, what manner of man or woman is that? Are we just like the world? So God has called us to something more. He's called us to not just be converts or not just win people for the Lord, but He's called us to help raise people up into the fullness of who God is, that we would understand that we are sons. What made Jesus, what made people ask about Jesus, what manner of man is this, is that <clears throat> not only did they see him walk in power, but they saw his life submitted to something that their life was not submitted to. And, and Jesus, it said of Jesus often that he would never speak unless he heard the Holy Spirit tell him to say something and he would never do anything unless the Holy Spirit told him to do it. I believe today that the reason we don't have an Acts-type church um, in the world today is because we are not listening and inclining our ear, and we are not doing what the Holy Spirit has told us to do. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but that power is only released in our life when we obey the Holy Spirit. And so when you have a disobedient person, you have an um, unpowerful person. God, all we only, I, I believe this, and you may not agree with this, but the Holy Spirit only gives power to the things He's called you to. And until we submit our lives to His Lordship and begin to walk in such a way that we only do what the Spirit tells us to do and we only say what the Spirit tells us to say, we will live a life void of power. And so God is calling us to more, that we would be like Christ, that we would be like the Son of God, that we too would be sons. Psalm 17, the, the uh, King David, or David as a, a young man, but he writes this poem. And in this poem, he speaks of something that later um, in the New Testament, one of the, the Apostle Paul writes to one of the churches and, and speaks of this in his sermon. But David said it first. and In Psalms 17, 15, it says this. As for me... <clears throat> I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I love that part. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That the only thing, let me say it this way, the only thing David said that would satisfy his heart is when he wakes up in the morning and he looks like Jesus. When he looks like God. Romans eight nineteen says this, For the earnest... Expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of not converts. Romans eight nineteen for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing not of good uh, not of good behavior, but the sons of God. I believe this. I believe God is looking for a church. I believe God is looking for a people that are sons. He died. He gave up his spirit that we might become sons of God. That we would grow up into maturity and be sons. It's said in the Bible that God gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and to some to be uh, teachers. And he gave them, it said, to the church. He didn't give them to the converts. He didn't give them to lost people. He gave them, well, he actually gave them to converts because they are part of the church, but he didn't give them to the lost people. He gave them to the church for the maturing of the saints. And I believe that What what God longs for is is for us to grow up into spiritual maturity in Him. And these are the workers that He's talking about. These are the workers that God has sent to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so uh, when we look at the landscape of the church and we see our people really truly growing up into maturity, When they come to church, when people come, when you came to church this morning, were you coming out of moral obligation or were you coming because of spiritual longing that you would discover God and know Him more and encounter Him more? This morning I would like to talk about um, these workers that God has given to the church, these laborers, if you will, that is trying to help raise people up from merely being a seed to, to, to producing a blade, then producing an ear, and then producing a full ear in the corn. Will we grow up into the full headship of who Christ has called us to be? These labors God has given to the church. I believe that, that and this is my opinion and you don't have to agree with it, but I believe that these laborers are few that understand their role to the church. In the Bible, it actually says, it actually speaks of these, these apostles as a hand all through the Bible. I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about the importance of the hand of God, the hand of grace over the life of the church for the sake of growing people up into the full measure of his headship. Let me put it to you this way When Jesus was actually resurrected from the grave, that which was on his head, they, they said it was the shroud of Christ they put a, it was a shroud, it was a veil that was laid over his face. That when Jesus resurrected and they saw the empty tomb, when they walked in, what, if you walked in right after his resurrection, what you would have seen is that shroud that laid on Jesus' face folded up neatly and put at the head of where they laid him. At the same time, another thing you would have seen is you would have seen uh, the, the rest of the, um, uh, the, the cloth that covered his body. There was a cloth that covered his body. All of that was taken and it was disheveled and it was wadded up and wrinkled and thrown into the far corner of the room. So you have what that which laid on his head neatly folded up and that which covered the body thrown into the corner. And, and, and so I, I, I think that that speaks something to us today until... God becomes the head of our body until until we allow Him to give us guidance in our life, until we allow Him to rest His head on our life, until we submit to His Lordship, until we don't care about our thoughts, but we care about His thoughts, until He becomes the head of the body of Christ, we will continue to live out of order, confused, disheveled lives. And there are some of you in here today under the sound of my voice, or online today, under the sound of my voice, that your lives are disheveled. Your lives are full of chaos. The only way that you can escape chaos in your life and confusion is to enter into and submit to the headship of Christ, His Lordship over your life. We'll put it to me another way, Sean. Okay. There's a woman who was walking around for 18 years that spoke of in the Bible. And she had an issue with blood. And she had been bowed over for 18 years. She had been in this condition so long that it actually says that it had bent her over until her focus was constantly into the flesh realm. Her eyes and head was constantly looking down at the dirt. It was a woman Hello, church. It was a woman. It was a woman bowed over for 18 years. 18 is a division of six. If you take six three times, you get 18. That makes 666. There's a woman who's been under the spirit of Antichrist. You've been looking for a man with a mark on his head. That's going to come one day. That's going to be the Antichrist but we don't need to be looking for somebody out there and neglect the fact that we have an antichrist spirit right here. Whenever you operate by your own flesh nature, you're antichrist. Some would say, so you don't believe in an antichrist, Sean? No, I don't have time to worry about an antichrist coming into our world and taking over and assuming authority. I don't need to worry about that over there. It's the man here that denies Jesus with my life. It's this man that denies Jesus with my life. There might be some of you in the room, well, this morning, or in your house, the living room this morning, actually, that would be saying, well, no, Sean, I, I, I I don't deny Jesus with my life. I would never deny Jesus with my life. But the reality is every time you do anything by your own strength, And you don't depend on God, but you depend on you. You live in the spirit of anti-Christ. Christ Christ was put in you. See, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It was the spirit he bore. And when he died, he released that spirit into you. And when you live according to you, and you don't hear from the spirit and do what the spirit says, you actually are living with the spirit of anti-Christ. When you you trust in your own power versus the power of the Holy Spirit, you deny His Lordship, the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been a woman bowed over for 18 years, bowed over with her eyes focused in the flesh realm. There's been a church, in other words, that's been operating under the authority of dead, dried-up denominations, under the authority of religious attitudes and behaviors under the authority of dead, dried-up pastors who honestly have more degrees than a thermometer but not enough power to blow their nose, much less cast out a devil or walk in a way that would please God or edify His kingdom. And I I just want to stop here for a second and say, I'm, I'm not against education. Education is valuable. But if all you have is education with no power, your education doesn't mean anything. Because you can edu- educate yourself about Christ and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but not walk in submission to his lordship. Some of us have submitted ourselves to our education and our mental paralysis. Uh, and and, and prowess, prowess, paralysis, not paralysis, not because that would be doing nothing but prowess. Is it prowess? And I don't know how to spell that, so I was trying to think of how to spell that, but... Um, all of our accomplishments, all of our achievements, we can trust in those things and become more dependent on what we've learned than what we are discovering through the revelatory knowledge of the Holy Spirit, which searches the deep things of God that you can never discover in a classroom. Now, Now, some of you just right now, you, you've been trying to talk yourself out of go to school, going to school. God's been trying to get you to educate yourself because you have a call to ministry and you just use that as an excuse to not do it. I'm not saying, I do not, I do not give you permission to not go to school. God told you to go to school. Don't use my words as an excuse to not do what God told you to do. It's time for you to listen to the Holy Spirit and stop. Listen to me, I'm gonna say this now, I'll smile. Don't live with the spirit of the antichrist. And look for excuses to not do what God has told you to do. But the reality is we have become more dependent on the things of the world than we have the things of the Spirit. We've inclined our ears to things that never satisfy, that in the end still leave us disheveled. We we try to cover ourselves with our good works and cover the body, the church, with our good looks and cover the body with our behavior and cover the body with our giftings and cover ourselves with those things but 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 he said at the end the end all of that will be revealed as, as if when Jesus was resurrected, that which covered the body was thrown in the corner, disheveled, wrinkled, and cast away as if it did not matter. And there are some things that you're using to cover your life that, that God is going to rip away and he's going to discard and it's not pointing. The only thing that remains in order is that which covered Christ's head, his headship, his lordship. It's our ability to submit to those things that brings order to the temporal, that that thy kingdom may come to earth as it is in heaven. I think I'm doing pretty good. This has been really difficult preaching to a camera without you in the house, but I well you guys are here. I have two I have three people in here, but it's it's good. This is good. This is good. So she's been she's been bowed over for 18 years. In other words, the church's vision has been, listen to me, in the earth realm. Because when you're bent over, all you see is the the earth realm. And it says that Jesus came to her. Now listen to me. He came to her and he laid his. Now, you need to, in the Bible, whenever you see the hand of Christ laid on somebody, you need to understand that the hand of Christ is for the church. The hand of Christ for the church is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's the hand that Christ gave for the church, for the maturing of the saints, that they may be redeemed and made well, that they may be come from a bent over a stake, that, they may, that we may lift them out of the, of the earth realm and give them a heavenly vision. And so Jesus reaches over with his hand. Now, we know in the New Testament that hand is apostles. I'm going to keep saying it. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So he lays his hand on her. Now what happens? She, her eyes go from the earth realm focusing on the dust of the ground. And, he, and she actually stands up from a boat over stints and looks heavenward. Now her vision goes from an earthly vision to a heavenly one because he laid his hand on her. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. God is trying to reap a harvest of sons. But you can't be a son until you grow up into the full measure and mature into him. He's called us to be sons. All of earth is groaning and trying to push sons out of the church. So what's the problem? Is the problem the harvest? No, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is the workers. Now, some of you are going to feel like you're off the hook because you're like, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm a teacher. But I want to speak to you about this. You have a responsibility because there are some people that operate with apostolic giftings and prophetic giftings and evangelistic giftings and and pastoral teachings and and teaching giftings and pastoral giftings that have been saying something to you, but you haven't received it because you don't want to be challenged to grow up to maturity. You want to be a convert, but not a son. So God will apply these people with giftings to call people to not just be seeds in ground, but to begin, and all through the Bible, to produce fruits. And if God sowed his son into the world that he might have many sons, then if, if what all he gets when, you, when he puts his seed in you is he gets a convert, then he has not yet got what he sowed in. And let me tell you, God will not be mocked. And, and he will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow, and he will get what he reap what he sows. And so if you are not yet a son, he is trying to get you to be a son. And the workers, their responsibility is, to not, is not to submit themselves to what the body wants when they preach the gospel, but is to submit themselves to what the head wants when they preach the gospel. That way we're going to have a church that is in proper order not disheveled and chaotic and thrown and watered up in the corner and the reality is many of us many many laborers have submitted what they preach to the body of Christ, to the body of Christ to the body instead of to the head and so God is calling us he is restoring his his right hand he is restoring Apostles, prophets, and laborers, and, 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 and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, he's restoring them to proclaim a message in these last days where we will raise people up into full maturity. So he laid his hand on her, and she was restored to a heavenly vision. Every Sunday morning when you sit online, wherever you are, and you listen to the sound of my voice, the point of this sermon is that you might be restored to having not just an earthly vision, but a heavenly vision. God is trying to lay his hand on the church that we may see differently. And sometimes that's going to be challenging. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you have to take a look at yourself. And sometimes you just quite honestly have to get so sick of being bowed over for 18 years in a terrible condition that you've had enough. And it's time that you want Christ and he laid his hand on her and her vision is going to come out of the earth realm and it's going to be restored back to a heavenly one that's why God told Abraham to count the sand he wanted Abraham to know the difference between an earthly vision and a heavenly one but as soon as he got through counting the sand then God told him to look to the heavens and to count the stars Because you don't only have a natural Israel, Abraham, you have a heavenly Israel as well. A spiritual Israel that may not be born of Abraham, but they were born from heaven and from above. So often we get so focused on our earthly vision that we miss out on the greater heavenly vision. And God, God commanded him to look to the earth. It's not that we should not see what is happening around us. It's not that we should not see the earth. It's not that God doesn't want us to have a vision here. But it should be birthed with a larger vision that we at the same time have a heavenly vision that it may put into order our earthly one. Our heavenly vision puts into order our earthly one. I'm afraid today that we are submitting heavenly visions to our earthly vision instead of submitting our earthly vision to the heavenly vision, that it may bring order to our earthly vision. All right. All right. Well, put it to me another way, Sean. Well, I'm glad you asked. I will. In the Bible, there's another story which many of you may not have heard about. You may have heard snippets of this story. Some of you may not have heard about it at all, and that's okay. I want to bring a truth out of this that I think is relevant for our morning. There is this king in the Bible, and I don't even hardly know how to say his name, but it's Balthazar, B-A-L-T-H-A-Z-A-R, Balthazar. And it speaks of him that he was getting, he was, he was there with his concubines and they were drinking wine, and, um, and they, they were drinking a lot of wine. And there is a, and I, I want to speak about this because this is kind of what struck me, and I wrote this down, and I'll just read this to you. I believe there is a church today, not everyone, and you can't generalize, but I think overall when you look at the landscape of our church today, there's a church today that is not a wife, but they're functioning as concubines. Let me talk about this without, you know, hope you don't turn my video off right now because I think this is important. I believe the church today has gotten into the habit of enjoying sexual intimacy. They enjoy living in the king's house. They, avoid, they, env- they enjoy being close to the king and in his presence. They want all the blessings, all the accoutrements, all of the benefits of being near the king. But they don't ever really want to enter into covenant relationship with him. They would rather remain concubines than be in covenant. I believe the church is much like this today. And I'm trying to speak gently because I know this is a very hard word. But I think it's important. You you, you are are one of two types of people. You are someone who's in covenant, or you are someone who's in this because of what you can get out of it. And he said of them that the concubines were drinking from, actually actually the king, Balthazar, he actually calls for one of the servants to go get golden uh, chalets, uh, uh, golden um, vessels, so they could bring back to them that they could drink out of the golden vessels, wine out of the golden vessels. Went into the temple and got golden vessels that, they, that the concubines could drink out of the golden vessels. Went into the temple. Got golden vessels of wealth, brought it back, and they drank the wine out of the golden vessels. Every single morning, let me say this, every single morning you come and you sit. I, I believe there is a church that comes in on Sunday morning oftentimes. Not our church, of course. This is every other church probably, but just not our church, right? Um, but that comes and you want to drink out of the golden vessel. You want to get rich on your pastor's Covenant relationship. You want to get rich on your worship team's covenant relationship. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a covenant relationship yourself? God is calling us more. He's calling us to not be concubines. We come on Sunday just to benefit for two hours to get, and I've heard people say all the time, I just, I miss meeting on Sunday, not during this quarantine, but, or we we used to have mid, back when I was going to church, we used to have midweek service. And so the thing was, they started killing midweek service because everybody's too busy. And like, I, I'm in support of killing Wednesday night service, just in case you know that's why we don't have one. But um, So we, we killed it, and then everybody started complaining, and they were saying, well, I just don't know if I can make it all the way to Sunday. I need Wednesday to be able to make it. I just feel drained and, and dying by Sunday not having Wednesday. And I'm thinking, see, you're using the church as a golden vessel to drink the, the new wine from God's word. That comes from someone else. It comes from someone else's sacrifice and someone else's pressing and someone else's life. That wine you had, that grape had to be pressed. To get there. And the reality is Sunday morning, although important for the proclamation of the gospel to instill curiosity in the hearts of men and women, that you would be able to have a desire to seek. That's why I leave you hanging every Sunday, that you would have a desire to seek. Listen, that is my great life, being pressed, that you may have wine and drink it out of golden goblets. I just want you to understand Sunday cannot be the extent of your life and your livelihood. You have got to have your own pressing time. You have got to have your own intimacy. You have got to stop being a concubine with benefiting out of all the things the king offers. And then you have to be enter into covenant relationship with him. God's calling us to more. He's calling us to more. They've been drinking freely from golden vessels. But I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried the church does that. I'm not worried that the church corporately is guilty of that. Because it says right in the middle of all this behavior, concubines and drinking from golden vessels and all of this behavior, a hand comes. Hello, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. A hand comes to proclaim a message in the midst of the debauchery in the midst of the lack of covenant relationship, in the midst of the sexual promiscuity, in the midst of all that, a hand, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, comes and writes a message on the wall that this kingdom is about to end, but the kingdom of God is about to reign. I believe that that is the season in which this church exists, and I came here this morning to tell you God is laying His hand on the church again. Not a withered hand. Not a broken hand. Not a hand that submitted itself to the body and preaches message that tickles fancies and tickles ears and and makes people happy and comfortable, but a hand that calls people out of their concubine ways and out of their bent-over state and temporal and earthly vision and begins to restore people back to the heavenly vision and brings God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven so that God may be able to reap a harvest not of converts but of sons who are fully mature into him. There's a man on the Sabbath... Well, put it to me another way, Sean, because that's only... That's only two hand examples. Okay, well, I'll tell you another story. On the Sabbath day, there was a man with a withered hand. And I believe for years we have, I believe that what we see in Acts versus what we see here, these gifts, these labors, the way they function is very different, if you would agree with me, than the way we function today, than laborers function today. And God is trying to, and I believe that this hand that he wants to use to bring people into full maturity in the church is withered. It's damaged, and it's submitted itself to the body. Now, listen what happens on the Sabbath day. Now, this is encouraging. We're getting into the encouraging part, so yay, right? Um, On the Sabbath day, Jesus sees a man with a withered hand, and Jesus walks up to the man with the withered hand and said, This is not a good thing. Now, I want you to know this is not a good thing for that situation there, and it's not a good thing for the New Testament church that the hand is withered from its powerful stance you should be making in the church. We have a word to share. And he prophesied, Jesus prophesied to the withered hand. Listen, he what? He prophesied to the withered hand. And on the seventh day, the withered hand stretched out and was restored. Now, let me encourage you, because I believe we're in the seventh day. Let me, let, me do this some, let me do some math here for you. Let me do some history, and let's look at the timeline from Adam till Christ. From Adam till Christ, it was four thousand years. Now, in the Bible, it says that a day is but a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day. So, so from the time of Christ, or from the time of Adam till Christ, it was four thousand years, or it was four days. From the time of Christ until now has been 2,000 years. The Bible says a day is but 1,000 years and 1,000 years is but a day. So 2,000 years is two days. So if we go all the way back from Adam and we go all the way up to where we are at now or, or in 2000, what we have is from the time of Adam till the year 2000 has been 6,000 years or six days. We are in the seventh day and he's about to heal the withered hand. That he wants to lay on the church, that that the church, by using apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, he's using those voices, not withered voices, but restored voices, that they may raise people up into the sonship of Christ, that he may reap a harvest of sons. Let me tell you, all earth is waiting for mature believers that are sons, not converts. But the only way this happens is through the hand that God wants to lay on His church. And He has restored it, and we are in a good time. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean all the messages you hear are going to be fun. And that doesn't mean all the discipleship and the challenging you experience won't be difficult. But God is not, He's not, He's not pandering to your wants and your desires any longer. He is not pandering to the church any longer. The body of Christ will submit to his headship in this hour. And he is demanding it. Let me put it to you another way. Goliath came from a city where a god called Dagon was the god of the region. But the Bible says when the Babylonians had captured the ark, they brought it into the house of an idol god. And the first time this idol god fell, it hit the ark of the covenant and its hand broke off. The hand of the idol God broke off. The presence of God, I believe, is about to break the false apostles, false prophets, false evangelists, false pastors, and false teachers. That hand is about to break off in this season so that God can use the real hand of God to mature people and restore people back to a heavenly vision and not an earthly one. God is trying to bring us to the next level of what he is doing. To put it another way, (laughs) it is time that the church, that the woman of the church, hold on, everybody take a deep breath. It is time that women stop preaching. It is time in the church that women stop preaching. The Bible says in Corinthians, to suffer not a woman to speak. The problem with the church is that we have too many women preaching in churches. See, David says it this way. He says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Let me tell you, if a man is preaching, but he is preaching from the soulish realm or the soulless realm, it's the woman that's actually speaking. It's not the man. So if a man is preaching, if I'm preaching this morning and I'm preaching a message from the soulless realm, it is she, the soul, that's preaching. When someone speaks from the soulless realm, it's the woman that's preaching. She shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, if a woman's up preaching, but it is, but it is he, the spirit of truth, then it's actually not the woman that's preaching, but it is he, the spirit of truth, that's preaching. John 16 says this, just in case you thought I made that up. Um, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you the things to come that's why i don't have a problem with women preachers in our church as long as it isn't she the soul preaching and it is he the spirit preaching in the church but the reality is we have a lot of men that grace our pulpits but it isn't he the spirit of truth preaching it's she the soulish person preaching and we need to stop having soulless messages. We need to stop having women preaching, if you will. We don't need women preaching. We need men preaching the spirit with the spirit of truth, messages that will transform hearts and lives. And that's what we need in our church. And finally, for the last point, to put it another way, whenever the spirit puts his head in the lap of the soul, Hello, Samson, you will lose your vision every time. Whenever you place spiritual things in the lap of soulish issues, you will lose your vision every time. That's why the Bible says that those without vision will perish. It is guaranteed. Hello, Samson, those without vision will perish. So be careful to not lay the things of the spiritual in the lap of soulish issues. Some of you need to stop spending so much time on Facebook. I'll be honest with you because it's soulish realm and we are being affected by soulish things and we're taking the things that are spiritual and we are submitting our life to it. The reality is many of us, could care more about what Facebook has to say than what the Spirit has to say to the church. We are living in a time of famine and social media is the avenue of the enemy to distract us from hearing what the Spirit is trying to say to the church because we don't give the Spirit, to, even in this situation right now with George Floyd, many of you have read articles, you've watched videos, and it's atrocity. It's atrocity. It's horrible. It's terrible. But, it is, but, but many of you have read articles, watched videos, you spent hours posting GIFs and posting comments and posting statements. But when was the last time you got on your knees on the side of your bed and you prayed and asked God what he would have you consider about this situation and what he would have you feel about this situation and more importantly, what he feels about this situation? Some of you, the answer is, I haven't asked God at all. Some of you is, maybe 10 minutes I talk to them. But if you make the comparison between those two, you spend hours on Facebook, inflamed with passion over issues that are temporal. Because just like I said earlier, you're like a woman with the issue of blood who has a spirit of antichrist that's bowed over and all you can see is fleshly things. But there is a deeper root problem here. You're seeing the fruit of poor root, and that's all you can focus on. And God wants to raise you up out of that, that you can get a heavenly vision in the midst of this. But you have to be touched with the hand of God that is not withered. You need, you need, to, you need to begin to pray for laborers who will, who will know what it is to raise people up into full maturity laborers who are not withered laborers who do not submit themselves to the body but laborers who submit themselves to Lord's headship I believe that God is about to burst something in the kingdom of God where people are going to begin to long for more I'm almost done I've said this before multiple times but I'm going to say this again Some of you Believe you're a daughter of Christ. That's great. He wants more for you. He's calling you to be a son. And if I can be a bride, then you can be a son. But I cannot be a bride and be a son at the same time. And God wants sons. Let me tell you, you cannot bury an apple seed and get a mango tree. Listen to me, people. So when God died that he might have many, he didn't die that he might have many brides. He didn't die that he might have a bride. He died that he would have many sons. I believe a bride is a step in the process to becoming a son. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. The sonship is the 100-fold. You know what the 30-fold is? Sheep. It's converts. And some of you stay a convert your whole life. Man, you go where everybody else goes. You don't have a brain for yourself. If a sheep goes over here, 20 sheep over here, oh, eh, and you just go over there. If a sheep jumps off a, a, a cliff, ah, that looks fun. And you jump off the cliff. That's what a sheep does. That's what a convert does. And God is saying, I want to move you from being a sheep to being a bride. In the Bible, it actually, it actually says that, that men should not lay with sheep, right, in Leviticus. I mean, there's some things you ought not have to put in the Bible. But on another note, there comes a place where God wants to be intimate with you. He doesn't just want to be your shepherd, but he wants to be intimate with you. He doesn't want to just lead you in paths, you know, fields of green. He wants to be intimate with you, but you have to cease being a sheep and you have to become a bride. See, some of you want to be a, but I, I said, I'll say this, and i got to be careful about how I say this. Some of us are happy being a bride because we want to be eye candy for our man. And the church wants to be eye candy. And so we do think, you're like, well, what does that mean, Sean? We, we just want to fit in our size, you know, four dress and look sexy. And, you know, and this is the way the church is. You know, you're like, what does that got to do with the church? I am so lost right now, Sean. What in the heck are you talking about? Yeah. But the church wants to do this. It's, and you know what we do it with? Our gifting. Is our dress, it's what we cover ourselves with. You know what he does with the things we cover ourselves with? He throws it and discards it in the corner and it's disheveled and it doesn't have a purpose anymore. He said, I'm tired of you trying to, I want you to get pregnant with something. See, God is longing for the church to get pregnant, but that requires intimacy. And, and, and there, are, there are some people who don't want to get pregnant because they want to stay sexy. And I'm telling you, it like, it's beautiful when you get pregnant, but it ain't the same type of sexy. You get bigger, you don't look the same. Are you? All the pregnant ladies in the house, you get bigger, you don't look the same, you don't feel the same, it, you, you, you have indigestion, you're hungry, you, you know, you don't, you, when you look in the mirror, you don't see the same person that you see in your imagination because you have been transformed by that which has impregnated you. I'm afraid today that we have churches full of sheep that haven't been transformed because we are not intimate with Christ on that level because we'd rather stay sheep than becoming a bride. And we'd rather, we'd rather stay sexy in our giftings and our anointings than actually be intimate with him personally. We're more interested in showing off what we have attained by being in the king's presence then we are entering into covenant relationship with him we want to be a concubine and look sexy then but then move in and be in covenant relationship and give birth to something because when i give birth to something or when i'm impregnated with something it transforms my very life i'm afraid god is desiring a church that is transformed because we've gotten pregnant and then you and then listen you can't stay a bride forever Because Jesus, God, Jesus cannot put a man's head on a woman's body. He wants you to become like him. So we have to become sons so he can place his headship on us. Some of us want headship, but we want to stay sheep, and it don't work that way. Some of us want to walk in authority, and you can't have authority unless you're willing to become a son of God. So God sent out labors to prepare people, to prepare a ground for when the Lord comes to reap a harvest. And I want you to understand he's coming to reap, but he's not coming to reap green grass. He's not coming to reap seed in the ground. He's not coming to reap little stalks that have not bore fruit yet. He is coming to reap sons that have fully matured into their purpose for their life. Psalm 17:15 asks for me. I will see your face in righteousness and I shall be satisfied only when I awake in your likeness. If you are satisfied with anything other than the likeness of God, you're missing the mark completely. God has one message and I'm closing with this. The way he started this world is the way he's going to end it. He started with a man that was in his image and likeness and he is not going to stop Until he gets a man that is in his image and his likeness. God will reap what he sowed.